Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April the 5th, and our chapter reading for today is 1 Kings chapter 6. This is a tremendous chapter and really a watershed chapter when it comes to the reign of King Solomon, because this chapter records the beginning of the building of the great temple, the first temple, as it is called by historians and theologians, and it stood for hundreds of years, beginning with 966 when it began, and until it was finished, it stood until 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian of the Neo-Babylonians, came and destroyed the temple completely in 586 B.C. at the third phase of the Babylonian captivity. Seventy years later, a second temple was built, and it stood until 70 A.D., that is, 40 years after the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus the Messiah. And so there's only been two temples, the first built by Solomon. There were renovations to it from time to time during the Judaic dynasty of those several hundred years, but it stood as a testament to the glory of God. And then the second temple that was built by the returnees from the Babylonian captivity through the agency of the great Persian king Cyrus and his decree in 539, they built the second temple, and it was a smaller, even though it was built upon the foundation of the original temple built by Solomon, it was smaller in scale from the standpoint point of splendor, so much so that those who had seen the first temple and were still alive when the second temple was built 70 years later, they wept because they saw the diminutive nature of the great glory of the first temple compared to the second. Now, it was renovated as well from time to time, especially during the period of the Hasmoneans, what we would call the Maccabean period, the Greek period. But the greatest renovation was during the days of the Lord Jesus and Herod the Great the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem. He was called the Great, unlike Alexander, who was called the Great for his military prowess and genius and strategy. Herod the Great was called the Great because of his great building and architecture that is still with us today in the land of Israel. It was a magnificent construction project, and it lasted for over 30 years, and it was an incredible design and expansion of of that second temple period. That was the temple that the Lord Jesus walked in. Now back to 1 Kings chapter 6. This is a critical chapter for dating. And let me just read to you and you'll see why. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, 
in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he, that is Solomon, began to build the house of Yahweh, of Hashem, of the Lord, of Adonai. This was the house that David wanted to build, but God would not let him. This is the house where David gave literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of gold and silver. He left behind because it's all God's anyway. He left behind for his son Solomon as a beginning to the treasury it would take to build this massive structure to the glory of God. And God is the one that gave the design to David and David passed it on down to Solomon. Sometimes people will say, well, I just don't believe that we need to put money into buildings, and it doesn't matter what kind of building it is. Well, I beg to differ with you. Now, granted, any old bush will do when God is in it, and God doesn't need a house built for him who made the heavens and the earth, but God gave the design for this, just like he gave the design for the tabernacle, which was worth millions upon millions of dollars. God didn't put shabby things there. No, no, no. Inside, it was solid gold. It was wood overlaid with solid gold. And so the tabernacle was just a miniature and more portable worship center than the temple, which was more permanent in the sense of it was stable. It was in one site and stayed there. But it was magnificent, well over a billion dollars in this building. And the building was, by dimension, 90 feet long. It was 30 feet wide, 45 feet high, about four and a half stories. And that doesn't seem like that big of a structure to put the kind of money into it did. But why did they do that? For the glory of God. You see, God likes things done with excellence. In our Western culture, and especially in the evangelical church, we like to halfway do things because we say, well, it really doesn't matter. It's just for God. Just for God. That's it. It is for God. And God is worthy of our very best. He wants excellence. There is a word for that in the New Testament. For excellence, it has to do with virtue. It has to do with value. It has to do with who God is. We give him the very best because he is the best. He deserves our best. And so Solomon built this out of the very best material that was known to mankind still today. The very best material known to mankind. Mankind. And he did it for God's glory. Now, as you read the modern versions, you will still read the word cubit. Cubit. C-U-B-I-T. What is a cubit? A cubit shows the great genius of God to man. A cubit is approximately 18 inches. It's the length of a mature man's elbow, his forearm, his hand to the tip of his long finger. I am an average man, and the reason I know that is because my arm, my forearm, from my elbow to the tip of my finger is exactly on the point, 
18 inches. That is a biblical cubit. Now, there was a royal cubit that had about three more inches to it, and that's for another podcast. But we have a standard measurement because a man, unless he is a giant, an average man, that is, just pick out one out of a hundred, they're going to have from their elbow to their tip of their finger, they're going to have an 18-inch span. So therefore, it could be measured anywhere on earth. There again, the genius of the ancient world that God gave to man. So this is how we get the dimensions for this. But now notice what it says. It came to pass in the 480th year. Now, when is this? And what is the time period and the historical context? Remember, the period that the judges ended in 1051, 1050 B.C., a thousand and fifty years before Jesus, that is when Saul was anointed king. He reigned for 40 years. So 1051, 1050 down to 40 years gives us 1011, that is 1011 or 1010. And I'll talk to you about why I'm saying either or. And then David reigned for 40 years. He reigned seven years in the capital of the tribe of Judah, Hebron, which was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's home, especially Abraham. That's where they're all buried in the cave of Machpelah in the Oaks of Mamre called Hebron. It's later called in the days of the Exodus, Kiriat Arba, and that was the home of Caleb. But it's Hebron, and that was the capital of the tribe of Judah. And David reigned there for seven years, and then he moved the capital into the land of Benjamin, the southernmost part that Benjamin was never able to capture. It was the stronghold of Sion. T-Z-I-O-N, we just do away with the T, the Tzadi in Hebrew, and put a Z there, Zion, Zion. David's city, the old Jebusite stronghold, is called Zion, Mount Zion, because it is a mountain separate to itself, and it is like a finger of a greater mountain called Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, and Mount Moriah has a northern abutment and a southern abutment, and the southern abutment is surrounded by valleys, three valleys, so it is like a peninsula of solid rock and of what we would call in the south, bluffs. B-L-U-F-F-S, bluffs, and that would be like a steep wall, like a mule's face. It was on all three sides, and only the northern side, which went back up to a plateau, and that plateau was used by the Jebusites, specifically one man named Ornand, or Aruna, Ariuna, It was his threshing floor. It was the highest point, and it was an area of a couple of acres, and it was uh, flat, and the wind would blow from those valleys upward, and they would thresh the wheat, and they would throw it up in the air after crushing it, and the chaff would fall in a pile, and the wheat being heavier, not the husk, the chaff would fall one way, and the wheat would fall into a pile, and they would grind it, and that's how they made bread. 
You remember this is where the angel of the Lord, after David unwisely and foolishly numbered the people, and God did not give him the authority to do a census, he punished David and punished the city. And the angel of the Lord was about to destroy the city. And David pleaded for mercy. And God had hesed upon him, had mercy upon him. And the angel was at the northern end of that Mount Moriah, of that abutment. And it was there where the threshing floor was that David was granted mercy. And so he bought the threshing floor. Remember, Aruna wanted to give him the threshing floor. He said, well, you're the king. You can have it. David said, oh, no, 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 no. This is for God. It's going to cost me something. Isn't that amazing? He said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why? Because it's unto God. Again, we need to give our best to God. But why? Because he's given us everything. You and I would not have one thing without him. This is why it's almost laughable for people to say, well, I don't believe in giving 10%. Well, no, no, no. It's all his. It's not just the 10% or the 15 or 20 or 30% you give. It's what you keep that God will also hold you accountable for. The easy part is giving that portion, whatever it is that you decide to God. But that's the easy part because you see, then that's out of your hands and into the hands of God. You don't need to try to put strings on everything. Let God's people do what needs to be done. You say, well, God's people doesn't have sense. Well, that's not your wheelhouse. That's God's wheelhouse. And if it is a church, you need to let that church decide what they're doing. That's why I just trust the Lord that I have fulfilled my responsibility when I give. The fact is we can't control anything anyway. And so the Bible says that these people... Like David, Solomon, they offered their best. And so this Mount Zion was the capital, Mount Zion. It was called David's city. And you can read about the capture of it in the material of the Kings and Chronicles. And so it was a fascinating thing. And that was a great political move on David's part because he wanted to be the king of all the tribes and unite the tribes. So he moved the capital from his own tribal homeland and capital and put it in the tribe of Benjamin from where his predecessor Saul, who had really messed up and the kingdom had been rent from that and taken from that tribe, he brought it back to the tribe and said, I'll give you the capital, but let's join together and do something together. Now that was a brilliant political move. You say, wait just a minute, I didn't think politics was in the Bible. Well, then read it. It's there because, you see, politics just has to do with people. That's what politics means. It has to do with people. And if as long as we are going to have life, we're going to be dealing with people. And we need to learn how to deal with them. And so now this is the second month of the year. It's called Ziv, Z-I-V. That was the name before the exile. And after the exile, it was called E-R. It was called E-R, I-Y-R. 
A-R. You see, most of the months had names before the Babylonian captivity when it was Hebrew, and then after the Babylonian captivity, the people of God spoke Aramaic, and so they changed the names of the month. For instance, the month of Nisan in the New Testament, that's post-exilic, after the exile, that's the same month that's called in the Tanakh Aviv. Abib, A-B-I-B, or A-V-I-V. Aviv is the word for spring. That's the first month of the year. It's not January. As our Gregorian calendar says, the Hebrew calendar is the month of Aviv called Nisan, and that is when Pesach, that's the month that we are in right now. And so Solomon began to build the temple in the fourth year of his reign. If he started reigning in 971, 40 years after his father David, and it was the spring. We don't know whether the calculation was, it just says when it was, whether the year would have been measured after Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, which would have been several months later, which would have been a different calendar year. One would have been 971, one would have been 970. We're looking at 966 as the date of when Solomon started the temple. Well, if you add, if indeed you add 480 years to that, that's going to be 1446 B.C. That's right, 966, the year that Solomon started the temple. You add 480 years, why? Because the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 6 that it was in the 480th year after the exodus, after the exodus from Egyptian bondage that the temple was started. So we can date the exodus from the time of the starting and the beginning of Solomon's temple, which is 966, add 480 years. Years to that is 1446. And so people ask me all the time, well, I saw the Ten Commandments and uh, Ramesses was the king. And, and when I was in school, they taught it was in the 1200s. Well, that's true. But you see, they're wrong. Just because somebody goes to seminary and has a Ph.D. and a Th.D. or a doctorate or a terminal degree, that doesn't make them always right. People are usually spouting off what they've been taught. You see, this is why we need to go back to the Word of God. The Bible dates the Exodus at 1446 B.C. You say, well, are you really going to that evidence? The Bible is the final authority to which I always appeal in any area, period. And so I pray that as you read through this material that we are going through, the Samuel Kings and Chronicles material, that you'll understand that God is right every time and he is telling a story and what a story it is. And you and I are a part of it. As we walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.